0: We are in Mark chapter 8. In those days, there was another large crowd with nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for the crowd because they have been with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they won't have enough strength to travel. For some have come a long distance. His disciples responded, How can anyone get enough food in this wilderness to satisfy these people? Jesus asked, How much bread do you have? They said, Seven loaves. He told the crowd to sit on the ground. He took the seven loaves, gave thanks, broke them apart, and gave them to his disciples to distribute. And they gave the bread. To the crowd. They also had a few fish. He said a blessing over them and gave them to the disciples to hand out also. They ate until they were full. They collected seven baskets full of leftovers. This was a crowd of about 4,000 people. Jesus sent them away. Then got onto the boat, and his disciples went over to the region of Dalmutha. The Pharisees showed up and began to argue with Jesus to test him. They asked for a sign from heaven with an impatient sigh. Does it sound like an impatient sigh when Jesus sighs? sighs? Jesus said, why does this generation look for a sigh? I assure you that no sign will be given to it. Leaving them, he got back into the boat and crossed over to the other side of the lake. Jesus' disciples had forgotten to bring any bread, so they only had one loaf with them in the boat. He gave them strict orders watch out and be on guard for the yeast of the Pharisees as well as the yeast of Herod. The disciples discussed this among themselves. He said this because we have no bread. Jesus knew what they were discussing and said, why are you talking about the fact that you don't have any bread? Don't you grasp what happened? Don't you understand? Are your hearts so resistant to what God is doing? Don't you have eyes? Why can't you see? Don't you have ears? Why can't you hear? Don't you remember? Then... When I broke five loaves of bread for those 5,000 people, how many baskets full of leftovers did you gather? They answered, 12. And when I broke seven loaves of bread for those 4,000 people, how many baskets full of leftovers did you gather? They answered, seven. Jesus said to them, and you still don't understand. Word of God. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. That was a good one. You got to work out. We did 21 verses just now. We've been moving along in this series of questions in the book of Mark. So if you're just joining us, um, we're asking all the questions. We're highlighting all the questions Jesus is asking in the book of Mark. So this morning, we're going to reflect just on that question that you might have seen a few times that Jesus poses to the disciples. Do you still not understand? And although the disciples, they have already been through a number of experiences with Jesus, it seems that they keep missing something in these three scenarios that we just read in these 21 verses. What are they missing? Did you catch it? What are they missing? This week when I was thinking about this passage, I did the thing that everyone should do when you're unsure. I Googled. I Googled, how do you solve a problem? Does anybody have any problems in here? Look at you, no hand raising. Don't lie in church. Does anybody have a problem? Maybe, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. So you're in luck because there's quite a market out there for this question. So if you've got a problem, Google's got you. There are four five-step programs if you need it, strategies, uh, techniques, galore, whatever you need for how to become a good problem solver. right? You got to solve the problem. You're going to be a problem solver. So this comes. Here's a model from 1947 that I ran across on how to solve problems. Okay, this comes from an eighth grade arithmetic book. Here you go. Seven easy steps on how to get your problem solved. Find what the problem tells. Cool. What to find what the problem asks for. I feel like those might be really similar, but go on. Decide what process or processes should be used and in what order, sometimes that's the problem, right? Like we we don't know. So I feel like some of us got lost from one to three. Estimate about what the answer should be. Solve the problem. Check your work to be sure you made no mistakes. Check your answers with your estimate to see if it is reasonable. That's helpful. Some of you should screenshot that, the model for your life. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But in the world of physics and mathematics, a problem is defined pretty similarly to what this graphic was in 1947. A problem is an inquiry starting from given conditions to investigate or demonstrate fact, result, or law. Hmm. Or for the rest of us who need to speak English, this is what a problem is according to the dictionary.com. It is a situation, a question, or a thing that causes difficulty, stress, or doubt. I feel like I resonate more with that one. A problem is also a question raised to inspire thought. Where do you think the disciples are between these definitions? I think from what we can see and what we are hearing in Scripture... The disciples, it seems, that they're not really functioning from a place of inspired thought, right? But rather, they are functioning from the standpoint of a situation that has very clearly caused stress, difficulty, and doubt for them. In the first scenario, Jesus asked the disciples to feed another group of people who have traveled to see Jesus. The disciples, they do not know what to do. While Jesus was displaying a moment of hospitality and compassion, wanting to make sure that the people don't go home empty-handed, the disciples ask themselves a more practical question, as we see in verse 4, how can anyone get food in this wilderness to satisfy these people? This is technically a valid question, if Jesus is not present, They were out in this place far from common goods and would really not be able to supply the number of people who had traveled and gathered with them. The disciples could not, it seems, summon the same kind of compassion as Jesus. This word compassion, it means to feel it in one's bowels. Yes, you heard it to feel it in one's bowels, from the Greek, because the bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity. You feel it in your gut. Jesus felt moved down into his core that there was a need for the crowd. N.T. Wright generously describes the disciples' reactions when Jesus asks them about this loaves of bread for the people. The disciples seem to be living in a dream, says N.T. Wright. Whatever it is that is happening, it's so much bigger, it's so very different from what they had been expecting or hoping that they simply couldn't take it all in. So maybe, maybe that's what was happening with the disciples. Maybe they were caught off guard. Maybe they were overwhelmed. Could this be the reason that they didn't understand? Have you ever felt so overwhelmed, so caught off guard that you didn't know how to respond to a problem in front of you? No less, the verse continues on because Jesus provides for the disciples' dilemma because even when we aren't ready to attend to a situation, Jesus is. The passage describes that Jesus took the seven loaves and fish and multiplied them right there before the eyes of the disciples. If they hadn't had a clue before this, well, hopefully, um, they could certainly jog their memories a little bit. Certainly now they could understand something more about what Jesus was doing, the work that he was really about. Scripture says in verse 6, he took the seven loaves, gave thanks, broke them apart, and gave them to the disciples to distribute, and they gave bread to the crowd. They also had a few fish, it says, and he said a blessing over those fish, and then he gave those to the disciples also to hand out. They ate, everyone ate, until they were full. And they collected how many baskets afterwards? Seven. Seven full baskets of leftovers. This was a crowd of 4,000 people. In the midst of all that is happening, Jesus still took a moment even to bless the food he miraculously provided. The Greek word, to bless the food, suggests that Jesus prayed over the food for the purpose of blessing it and consecrating it for the prosperity and wellness of those who would be receiving it. This is much like when we pray over communion, when we break bread together here. This was not the first time that Jesus had provided food for large crowds that had gathered to come see him and that were following him. We see previous accounts in Mark, actually, in chapter 6. This is not the first time the disciples had participated along with Jesus in sharing food. The disciples not only witnessed the multiplying of food, but they also got the privilege firsthand to share that miracle of bread from the bread of life himself. They got to share that miracle with other people. They held it in their hands. We also see the story reminiscent of a miraculous feeding in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 4. Elijah said, give to the people so they can eat. This is what the Lord says. Eat, and there will be leftovers, abundance. So the servant gave the food to them. They ate and had leftovers in agreement with the Lord's word. Elijah served a group of prophets. In Mark chapter 8, the group that has followed Jesus for three days, however, are Gentiles, non-Jews, non-believers. 4,000 people who have never heard of Jesus have been following him for three days. And they have come from various places from far away, and they have come to hear a word from Jesus. In the scene that follows, verses 11 to 13, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they begin to argue with him to show they want to know, they want to see a miracle, they want a sign, they want to know that things are really as Jesus says that they are. So the disciples watch this encounter with the Pharisees and Jesus. At this request, however, we see that Jesus does not respond with with, uh, an attitude of hospitality or even with compassion. This, he felt a different embodiment of something else. In fact, he's described to be irritated, as we see from Scripture, frustrated with the Pharisees, so much so that he denies their request. And responds with a rhetorical question to them. Why does this generation look for a sign? And he leaves them standing there where they are. And he walks away to attend to more urgent matters. And he crosses the lake. This question that Jesus asked is not only for the Pharisees. But also for believers as well. Just a moment before this. Jesus provides for 4,000 people from seven loaves and just a few fish. However, this was not sufficient enough because of a miracle or a sign for the Pharisees, whatever Jesus just did apparently wasn't good enough. They wanted more from Jesus and they wanted it on their terms and for the convenience of their church. Careful there, huh? But Jesus takes this opportunity to connect with the disciples. He warns them, To be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. This is significant. And the yeast of King Herod. The disciples, self-conscious about their previous problem because they were still kind of stuck. Even though they have witnessed Jesus do a thing, they're still worried about it and self-conscious. When they were asked to provide for the hungry crowd and they think they're so focused on this problem that they might miss what Jesus is actually trying to teach them. Yeast is used to represent very many different things in the Bible. Exodus. In Exodus, unleavened bread represents haste. In Matthews, it represents the kingdom. In 1 Corinthians, it represents someone's sin. Jesus means to highlight that which spreads, however. Both Pharisaic piety and Herod, as an agent of political power, are corruptible influences. Unfortunately, the disciples miss this insight from Jesus. One commentary suggests that the disciples are still spiritually half-blind, which is a moral fault in Mark 4, The disciples should have seen enough bread miracles not to worry about earthly bread and to catch Jesus' plain point, but instead they are acting like the Israelites in the wilderness who never learned from faith despite the manna from heaven that they got every single day for 40 years. So what do we make of this question, my friends, and what do we make of this scenario with Jesus and his disciples it's not about the bread, but it is about the bread. Perhaps we too are at risk of misunderstanding, missing what Jesus is doing. This word to understand in the Greek is a verb. It means to perceive well or to put certain things together, put ideas together. What we have put what have we put together from the priorities of Jesus? You, can you think about that in your, in your journey as a believer and somebody getting to know Jesus, as a churchgoer, what are the things that you have put together about the priorities that Jesus has and is trying to share with us? What if what we are missing in understanding, even ourselves, is that Jesus is actually not trying To problem-solve. He's not a problem-solving-minded person. But rather, Jesus is one who identifies opportunity and then leans into that opportunity. Because for Jesus, it's not a problem that people are hungry. Rather, it's an opportunity to bless people in need. Jesus sees an opportunity for the kingdom of God to be, re- to be revealed now to these new believers and also as a reminder to those who have already believed all along. Jesus sees an opportunity to reveal himself. The disciples misconnecting that their closeness to Jesus gave them an opportunity to share his work of compassion, of healing, of feeding which allows the kingdom work of Jesus to be an even wider circle. Jesus is not interested in showing the disciples a quick fix, five-step way to solve your problems, because people are not problems to Jesus, my friends. You are not a problem to be solved for Jesus. People are to be cared for. You are to be cared for. The same compassion that stirred in the body of Jesus for the hungry ought to stir in the bodies, in our bodies today, for the hungry, for people in need. According to the most recent national food insecurity data released by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, rates of food insecurity are high for households headed by African Americans, less 21.2%, 2.5 times the rate for white and non-Hispanic households. While this could have been perceived as a problem, we'll let you know that several black civil rights activists, anti-hunger, and anti-poverty advocates saw this as an opportunity to act and to generate change. Here are some of the ways that they acted on these opportunities. Maybe, you haven't, maybe you've seen or um, have read about these. The first one is the Black Panther Party that I like to call had a Black Panther Pantry. Because in 1969, the Black Panther Party began providing free breakfast for children before school. The breakfast program called Free Breakfast for School Children was just one of several social programs created by this party. The program fed thousands of children from 1969 to 1970. And at one point, they served 20,000 children a week. And then FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover called the program a threat. And FBI and police raids began destroying the food that was meant for the children. And they began to terrorize participants. And as a result, the Black Panther Party ended their program, but it did not end there because it put pressure on the U.S. government to provide free breakfast for children, the school breakfast program that was later authorized in 1975. The Black Panther Party, with their pantry, saw an opportunity. This, my friends, is the expansion kingdom work of Jesus Come Alive. You don't have to make progress on the sidelines, whimpering and complaining. You make progress by implementing ideas. Many Americans know this next one that is um, Representative Shirley Kishholm. You'll see this next one. And this was the quote that she quoted. You don't make progress by standing on the sidelines whimpering and complaining. You make progress by implementing ideas, she says. Many Americans know that the Honorable Shirley Krisholm as the first African-American woman to be elected in Congress in 1968. She paved the way for black women in US politics and played an essential role in creating a special supplement nutritional program for women, infants, and children. You'll know it as WIC. We can thank her because some people can eat for this program, ensuring that low income mothers everywhere had access, could access free, healthy food for their young babes. This, my friends, is somebody seeing an opportunity, and we call this an expansion of kingdom work for Jesus. The next one you'll know, this is a picture of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the foremost civil rights leader of the 20th century, recognized the struggle against hunger and poverty as fundamental to the fight for equality and justice for African Americans, and he says this, I have the audacity to believe that people everywhere can have three meals a day for their bodies, education, and culture, for their minds, and dignity, equality, and freedom for their spirits. He said this in the Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech in 1964, and he led nonviolent protests throughout 1950s and 60s to work towards civil rights in America and peace abroad. This, my friends, is seeing and seizing an opportunity and watching the expansion of the kingdom work of Jesus. This is people understanding, putting something together, and making it happen. There are many opportunities, my friends, in this world to participate in the expansion in the kingdom of God. You and I get to be a part of that. Every week when we come and we pray and we we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, you and I are disciples. And when we say every Sabbath, God's kingdom come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And especially that part when we receive our daily bread, We can trust that God will provide that same bread for others. And sometimes, my friends, it will be our hands who are called to hand out the bread for those who are hungry, like the disciples did alongside Jesus. Partnering with God to provide wellness for others doesn't mean, however, that you and I have to go without. On the contrary, we, when, we, when we show up willing to participate in the creating of opportunity, then everyone has what they need, it turns out. Undoubtedly though, this is a really scary experience. We have to watch out for the yeast of the fairies and of Herod, because we have a story in our mind that there isn't enough. So many of us read scripture with this lens This individual lens that guides us to first take care of ourselves and to hoard our resources. They're not our resources. They're God's resources, and you get to partake of them. And we end up looking maybe like the characters of this parable of the long spoon. There's actually a really great video, and I invite you to check it out, again, on the Google Look up the long spoon. Here's the first one. There's a pot in the middle, and they're trying to feed themselves with this long spoon, and they are a disaster. God's kingdom is not reflected in this picture. The people here are driven by fear of scarcity. Though they mean to strive for their own good, it often turns out just like this, a mess They try and they try, praying for a miracle to happen, for a sign from God, teach us how to get out of this situation, God, and they are hoping God will intervene here, but they don't understand. Is that what they're missing? They're missing the miracle? They are missing the sign, they are missing a vision from Jesus in this picture. It's not until the people realize that if they actually seize an opportunity, what's the opportunity in this picture, that they get to work together and solve a problem, a situation, and they can do so much more when they work together. It's when we realize that we alongside Jesus are called to serve. They realize that they don't have to try to feed themselves because if they all work together, they're going to have exactly What they need. When we work alongside Jesus, we are called to serve. That we understand what Jesus is trying to share with you and me. What he was trying to share with the disciples. That same message, that same understanding that hasn't changed. But this is when we really begin to witness the feeding of the miracles. And we live in this state of abundance when we're able to receive the abundance that God has in store for all people, church and unchurched alike, Adventists and non-Adventists, from cultures of all different backgrounds that we have been learning, from all walks of life, my friends, then we are close to understanding. When we are close to Jesus, you must remember that you don't have to be afraid of not having what you need. Because Jesus provides both the bread and the community in which that bread will be broken and shared, right? I wanna leave you with this children's book to help you kind of think a little bit more about your understanding of the kingdom and the vision this has for all of us. It's written for kiddos, but I think it's got a lot to offer for us. What to do with a problem, I don't know how it happened, but one day, I had a problem. I didn't want it, I didn't ask for it. I really didn't like having a problem, but it was there. Why is it here? What does it want? What do you do with a problem, I thought? I want to make it go away. I shoot it. I scowled at it. I tried ignoring it, but nothing worked. I started to worry about my problem. What if it swallows me up? What if my problem sneaks up and gets me? What if it takes away all of my things? I worried a lot. I worried about what would happen. I worried about what could happen. I worried about this and worried about that. And the more I worried, the bigger my problem became. I wished it would just disappear. I tried everything I could to hide from it. I even found ways to disguise myself. But it still found me. And the more I avoided my problem, the more I saw it everywhere. I thought about it all the time. I didn't feel good at all. I couldn't take it anymore. This has to stop, I declared. Maybe I was making my problem bigger and scarier than it actually was. After all, my problem hadn't really swallowed me up or attacked me. I realized that I had to face it. So even though I didn't want to, even though I was really afraid, I got ready and I tackled my problem. And when I got face to face with it, I discovered something. My problem wasn't what I thought it was. I discovered it had something beautiful inside. My problem, it held an opportunity. It was an opportunity for me to learn and to grow, to be brave and to do something. It showed me that it was important to look closely because some opportunities only come once. So now, I see problems differently. I'm not afraid of them anymore because I know their secret. Every problem has an opportunity for something good. You just have to look for it. I invite you to look for the opportunities. Amen.